Hello and welcome to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. Today, I'm joined, as always, by Greg. Hey there. And we have Leslie with us again this week. Hello! And so first, we'll start off as we normally do and talk a little bit about what we've been playing. So we just finished up actually a game of Kingdom Builder. Greg and I have played it before, but I think, Leslie, this was your first time, right? That is correct. I had not played before. It was a cool game, and I liked how it went fast and had a lot of moving parts that you can change and have a variety after replaying it. So we'll have to check that out again in the future. Yeah, I think that there's just so much in that game currently because I have every expansion that has come Mm -hmm. out, and I got the big box for it and everything. So... There is a lot there. <laughs> it's, there's a lot of there. Um, and as the designated rules guy, um, of course, I had to read through. I have technically played with the Crossroads expansion before, but neither of the two expansion terrain tiles we were using came from that expansion. So I had to read about, okay, what are these new types of things? What are these new special abilities? What are these new uh, scoring cards? Actually, so this is really interesting. I thought that the scoring cards that we played with were pretty cool. None of them came from the base game. One of them was just sort of ringing special locations. One of them required that we remove all of the terrain of a particular type from the deck. So in in our game, it was impossible to build on canyons by pulling a card because there were no canyon cards in the deck. But every settlement that you had on a canyon at the end of the game got you a point. So you had to try to find ways using special abilities to move onto there and do some stuff like that. And it was really fun. It, it made the game quite different than I'm used to. A lot of those new scoring types made it interesting. And I mean, the other one with the surrounding the cities, that one was just really hard to get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we each only got one. Yeah. I think partially because we tried to block each other on that one so that we didn't get it. <laughs> yeah. A little bit. And partially because, well, it was just like, you know, there were mountains and water and all, other things like that in the way. Right. Which, which is interesting because you can combine a lot of these different modules because there are other modules where you can actually build on water mm. and like, you know, have, for example, boats, which count as settlements that move along the waterways, which also count for adjacency. So you can move your boat a certain distance to become adjacent or non-adjacent to a certain type of terrain and, and do some fun stuff with that. There's a lot to that game. Yeah. I've only touched the tip of the iceberg. Yep. It's one of those games that it's going to take a while. Like even even I've like only played like four or five games, but there, there's just so much in there. Cool. Yeah, definitely a lot going on. Another game that has a lot going on, Empires of the Void 2. We've each had a chance to play. Jacob and I played around and then you told us you also played around. Yeah, we played on Saturday with some friends over at our house. So I know our experience was, it was just the two of us. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's sort of that built-in scaling mechanic of there's this vast stellar empire that takes over some of the planets and is basically impossible to conquer. Right. Um, how many did you end up playing with? We played with four, and it was a very interesting game to the players involved or more aggressive mm-hmm. players. And it, it was very interesting. I was the purple crystal people. Mm-hmm. I love the little ships. I find it amazing that uh, the designer, Ryan Lockett, uh, with Red Raven Games, like, 
he designed the game, he illustrated the game, and then he made a game with miniatures. So he figured out how to make his own miniatures. Like he just <laughs> does everything. And if you ever go to a convention, he he will be behind the cash register selling the games too. It's it's absolutely amazing that he can just do everything. Yeah. Like a lot of his other games, though, I will say we ran into that it was extremely difficult to explain. Yeah. But once we got the hang of what was going on, it was pretty simple. That seems to be a theme of the games that we've played lately. There's just a lot of front end, like, oh my god, this rule book is so intimidating and so dense. And then once you get into it, it's kind of like, oh, okay, I see how that interaction works. Right. And it's it's really just once you've played it once or twice, you've got a much more much more solid understanding of what the right. the rules are referring to and how that all works. So. I yeah. usually give up and say, can we just play a round? <laughs> Even if it doesn't count, can we play one or two rounds and then I'll understand what I can do. Right. But it was a cool mechanic with the lead player choosing the main action. Yeah. And then you could either do that or do something else if you had the extra points to spend mm-hmm. or you could refresh and sort of managing when to refresh. Yeah. So I feel like that's even more interesting when you have more players because when it's just the two of us, uh, when we were playing, it, it was really like a back and forth kind of thing. Like right. We every other turn got to choose what we wanted to do. Yeah. Versus with four players, you have to like you have three turns that you can either follow or do something else. So right. So that's think, definitely true. Yeah. It it just makes it very interesting in that way. This is this is an observation that's just occurring to me now. The game uses a follow mechanic. Which yeah. We've just been discussing. Kind of like Tiny Epic Galaxies, yeah. and kind of also like TI3. Mm-hmm. And I find it curious that it's used so commonly in space-themed games. <laughs> it's possible that it's used in a lot of other types of games, and I just haven't played those. I guess Puerto Rico sort of has a follow mechanic, mm. not yeah. an optional one, but yeah, it's kind of interesting, interesting. that 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 mechanic lends itself to mm-hmm. space-themed games. Exactly, yeah. or seems to. That is that is quite interesting. <laughs> Maybe that'll be a, a topic for a vlog or another other episode yeah. down the road. Yeah, just is, look look for all the games that have follow mechanics and talk about them and why they why they work in these themes and not in these others. <laughs> there you go. Write it down. But yeah, that's it. That's all we've been playing. You had a few others because you're you know better than we are. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say that. If there's not a game on the table in our house at least like three or four nights a week. Well, probably not home, let's be real. (laughs) Uh, So Friday night, we got together with our friends that we're playing Pandemic Legacy Season 2 with. And that, yeah, we're in September somewhere, I think. Yeah. Yeah, we finally lost a game. We'd won a few. And then, you know, at some point without funding, you just can't manage. Yeah. I'm going to be very vague, of yes, course, of course. <laughs> for your benefit as well as the listener's benefit. But yep. uh, we appreciate that. It's been very interesting to explore the new world of what's happening and the little hints that get dropped along the way. And we're playing it with our friends who we played Pandemic Legacy Season 1 with. Yep. So we've like named our characters as descendants of our previous characters yep. mm-hmm. which uh, in our pandemic legacy season one three of us named all of our characters mm-hmm. after cities okay oh, wow. uh, we had kinshasa joe and <laughs> sydney was our scientist <laughs> and my husband named his character misha and we insisted on calling him moscow <laughs> oh my character was london that's right so yeah so we've renamed all of our characters to kind of go along with sure, the, that the city theme yeah. yeah there you go yeah so it was it was a lot of fun so um 
we're just kind of continuing our story. And I think it's probably made it a much better experience that we're playing with the same people. We're looking forward to that. We actually are also playing with the exact same group. The three of us are, are playing again. Of course, we're only on the first half of January. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, slow progress. Yeah. Feeding all these people. But for those of uh, people who are interested, we have that first session on YouTube. And we will be streaming all of the other sessions on every other Friday. That's right. Awesome. We also received our Kickstarter version of Rising Sun, which was very, very exciting. I've played it only once so far. It's really interesting. Lots of really cool mechanics. The the ability to ally with another player, and you can choose to ally with the same player in each season or different players. We've got all the cool kickstarter pieces and yeah my husband's painting all the miniatures and they look absolutely amazing i'll have to post some of those to um instagram yeah for sure and the game is just visually stunning um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i i don't know a lot about asian mythology it's not my area of expertise by any stretch of the imagination but uh, i kept taking pictures and sending them to my friend who has degrees in japanese and asking her what things meant and, <laughs> and it's it's just a beautiful beautiful game uh gameplay wise it's it is very similar to blood rage so if you enjoy the area mm-hmm. control of blood rage that's really entertaining but it just has a lot more player interaction you can negotiate with your ally and yeah. you know make deals with people take somebody into the other room and make secret deals oh, wow. you know some people really enjoy that part of the game some people in our experience did not really enjoy that part of the game it sounds maybe a little bit too close to diplomacy for my taste personally it doesn't make the whole game though so i based my whole character around having an ally and then on the last turn my ally betrayed me (laughs) (laughs) Um, well and then we got a rule wrong so Uh, which happens the first time you play a game and it was it was fine but he may never live it down (laughs) (laughs) and it was not my husband that betrayed me it was a friend of ours so it's fine okay all is well all is well i mean we're we're no strangers to playing games wrong and you know sometimes not just the first time but the first (laughs) 10 times 15 times and after i say it's one of my favorite games quote favorite games yeah that's one you're never gonna live down well essentially when you betray someone you can take any two players characters off the board Mm-hmm. and replace them with one of your own. Okay. So his grand plan was mm-hmm. to take the monsters from the other two players. It was We were playing a four-player mm, game. Yeah. So he, his grand plan was to take the monsters from the other two players mm-hmm. and replace them with his guys. Yeah. But the thematic reason behind the betrayal is yeah. that your person was in disguise. Well, you can't have... A tiny soldier in disguise as a dragon it doesn't work you have to be able to replace it with a monster okay so like if you have a dragon on the board and somebody else betrays and they have one of their onis they can replace the dragon with one of their onis that's fair because it's monster for monster yeah so he replaced the dragon and one of the onis on the board with his two little soldier guys whose names I can't remember. I apologize. <laughs> like I said, Japanese is not my area of expertise. 
which you can't do. Yeah. Um, At a certain point, you just got to let those soldiers live their dream. You know? Which, like, which is why wanted. we sort of went with it and just played out the rest of the game and then looked up the rule. We were sure. like, you know, you don't want to stop someone from doing this really cool thing that they've come up with. Yep. But I was a little sad because I, I had like, if I have an ally and I earn points, then I get an extra point. And I had all these cards based on having an ally and then the late last turn he was like i'm gonna betray you to be fair he did tell me before he did it it's <laughs> nice there's <laughs> more than the more than more than most betrayals give you yeah <laughs> yeah yeah but you no know, but we had a good time he didn't win either so our, our other friend won so there you go and she's the one that has been to japan and like has knowledge of japanese insider trading insider I knowledge yeah, so. yeah i wonder if she was able to put that to good use i don't know but yeah it was a good time sounds awesome well there you have it that's a look at what we've been playing the city of megalopolis uh, another peaceful day in the city but what is this it seems a barren blade has appeared once again and is in the middle of robbing a bank. Before this day is ended, the entire planet shall grovel helplessly at my feet. We're under attack! Suit up! You cannot be allowed to continue such actions. Like lambs to slaughter. The air itself is my weapon. Its strengths are mine. Ten seconds ago, I was in a different time zone. Guess how many times I'm gonna hit you in the next ten seconds. I am hardly amused by your worthless attempt, competence. The waters rise at my command. Be gone, interloper. Whenever I feel like slowing down, I speed up again. True story. Curses thwarted again. Goodness, look at my wrist. Gotta go. And once again, the day is saved by the Sentinels of the Multiverse. So Sentinels of the Multiverse is a cooperative card game in which... You play the heroes trying to defeat a villain. And just like most comic books, all the heroes are there trying to like, you know, defeat this one villain who is usually pretty strong. And you also have some really cool locations that you're doing this in. And each of these have different mechanics and all based on the cards that are associated with them. To talk about how the game is played, let's go over Leslie. Everything in this game sort of revolves around the turn order. So you start with the villain turn because the heroes can't hit first. That just wouldn't be very heroic. So the villain turn happens. You have the start of the villain's turn. The villain plays a villain card. And then the end of the villain turn happens. Those start and end is important because some of the cards will have effects that happen on the start and end of the villain turn. Then you move around to the hero turns. Each hero turn is a start, a play, power, draw, and end. So again, you have stuff that happens on the start of the hero turn. Then you get to play one of your hero cards, and that could be a variety of different cards, which Greg will talk about in a second. Then you get to use one of your powers. It could be a power you just played, or it could be the power that is on your starting card. Everybody starts with one power. That's usually very thematic to your character. And then you draw a new card to add to your hand, and then you end your turn. Now, of course, different cards may affect creating more drawing and more powers um, as you go through the game, but that's the basics. Also, you can, if you have nothing you really want to play and you don't want to use your power, you can choose to draw two cards and end your turn. 
And at that point, it's the environment's turn, because comic books happen in an environment, and sometimes you get hit by a monorail. (laughs) (laughs) That's definitely part of my pitch when I'm teaching people this game. And so then again, you have the start of the environment turn. You play an environment card, resolve whatever actions are on that card, and then you hit the end of the environment turn. And then you start back up at the top of the villain turn, and you keep going like that until the good guys win, right? The good guys always win. Ideally. (laughs) Sometimes the good guys don't win in this game, but it's always a good time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And so like Leslie mentioned, there's a couple of different types of cards that you'll find in a deck. Each hero and each villain and each environment has a completely unique deck. So you're not sharing cards, which means the designers of the game were free to come up with some really custom built uh, ideas. And so each hero has a really strong theme. You know, you've got the sort of elemental heroes, kind of Aquaman-esque in Tempest, or Tachyon, who's a a speedster. You know, she moves really, really fast, hits things really fast. She's also super smart. Exactly, right. She's a scientist because everybody needs to be both a scientist and a superhero. It's, It's not enough to be one or the other. But so you've got these really unique decks that are built around doing one or two different things really, really well, but they also have some shared mechanics. So... Generally speaking, in any given deck, you're going to find one-shots, which you play them, and they have a really big effect. Most of these are direct damage abilities, but sometimes they can be things like drawing cards, healing. They're just things that are going to have an effect, and then they go to your trash. You also have ongoing cards, which remain in play in front of you, and some of these will give you damage reduction. They'll increase the amount of damage you deal. Others of them will actually have powers. So every hero has a power that they can use by default, But you also have some ongoing cards that say, you know, if you, they have power, do X instead. So you can choose based on what you want to do that particular turn, which power you're going to use. And then you also have equipment, which is similar to an ongoing card, except it tends to be more personally focused, uh, although some of them can have powers as well. It's essentially a different expression of the permanent capacities that gets interacted with by different cards. And then finally... There's a concept that shows up on several cards called Limited. So many ongoing cards, you can have as many copies of them as appear in your deck, which is usually three to four. And so these can be things like deal one extra damage. You can just stack that up. Other things, things that have particularly powerful effects, they'll say Limited. So even if you have others in your hand, you can only ever have one copy of that specific card in play at a time, and that's just to prevent things from getting out of hand. So those are the types of cards that you're going to encounter and then each of them is just going to have, you know, specific printed rules that prompt you to do stuff. Some of them, as Leslie mentioned, allow you to break the general structure of a game by playing extra cards or, you know, using extra powers, things like that. But it's really very simple in terms of the procedure that it follows and the way that a deck is constructed. Yeah. So the mechanics of the game are, for the most part, very simple. But the really cool part about this game is the theme. The theme itself really, really flows through all of the different parts of the game. As both Leslie and Greg mentioned, the cards are fit to your character. So whoever you play, you know, you're playing Tachyon. She's the speedster. So she just speeds up over time when she starts using more and more cards. She gets these burst cards that whenever she puts them in a discard pile, the more of them she has in there, certain effects will rely on that being like, you know, you deal as much damage as there are burst cards in the deck. And other such things, like Ra is very fire-based, so he will have a lot of cards that have to do with that, and 
each character and each villain is extremely customized to their exact role and how they play. So how do you win? Ah. Um, Always important in any game. You know, obviously you beat the bad guy. Um, Ultimately, (laughs) every villain has its own defeat condition. Every Mm -hmm. game has sort of its own victory condition. It does really come down to hit points. Every character has hit points, which are cleverly disguised as the issue number on their what looks like the cover of their comic book on your starting card. And you take damage. Every hero will take damage. Any character with hit points can take damage. There are targets throughout the game because you you may have targets within a deck a villain might have little minions that you can also hit that sort of divide your attention usually you are trying to get the villain down to zero hit points however the villains also have little quirks that will cause things to happen the card will flip and the rules will change a little bit Mm-hmm. Sort of like happens in a comic book. The turn, the twist, yeah. you know. And you thought this was my final form. Exactly. <laughs> it's never their final form. <laughs> it's never their final form. All um, right. Yeah. I'm really glad that you mentioned hit points because one of the things that both interacts with the theme and sort of fits with the general game feel, but is also mechanical, is the fact that heroes never die. If you lose all your hit points, you're not removed from the game. You still get to take a turn. It's just that you flip your character card over and you have a very limited set of things that you can do. You are incapacitated. Right. (laughs) Because, you know, they're going to have to bring you back in some issue, some reboot of New Earth or nonsense. But uh, (laughs) I think this is one of the things that gives Sentinels of the Multiverse a leg up on other co-op games, is that, you know, we just talked about Zombicide last week. When Mm -hmm. somebody got eliminated in Zombicide, they basically said, like, okay, bye. You know, I'm going to go sit on the couch and I'm going to be done. Um, Mm -hmm. But the fact that you still get to be a part of this team and you still get to contribute and feel like you're helping to defeat the enemy, sometimes in very real ways, because it can be things as impactful as allow another player to draw a card. You know, like really, really useful abilities, I think is, is a very smart design choice for this game. Yeah, I've had that happen in a lot of cooperative games. Betrayal at House on the Hill in particular mm-hmm. always seems to devolve into the one person who's gotten turned into the bad guy and one person fighting them at the end and yeah. everybody else kind of waiting for it to be over. <laughs> so I'm uh, really against player elimination in yeah. games. So that is definitely a thing that I really enjoy about Sentinels. Yeah. And like you said, it, it definitely goes with the theme. So... One of my favorite parts of the game itself is the environments. And I mentioned them briefly earlier, but because you have all these different kinds of environments, even the base game, you start with four different ones. You've got Atlantis, you've got Megalopolis, you've got Mars. um, Wagner Mars, please. (laughs) As well as Omnitron, I believe? No, uh, No. Insula Primalis, so Ah. um, the... Dinosaurs. Ah, oh yeah, you can go back in time and fight with some dinosaurs or be on an island that has dinosaurs like Jurassic Park. You know, like um, you do. And Sometimes the bad guy gets eaten by a T-Rex, and that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and see, that is the amazing part about the game, is that like with these environments, all different kinds of things can happen. Like You can get hit by a monorail flying off of the rails. The bad guy can get hit by the monorail or chomped on by a T-Rex. Like The environments themselves have effects that are ostensibly neutral to the the game and they just do things and it could be good for the villain it could be good for the heroes it could be good for some heroes and not others and i think that that just adds that amount of like flavor and that a little bit of 
extra like, a twist that you know sometimes an environment might not work very well with certain heroes other times it will work amazingly with like this villain or like this one hero it just benefits so much from the environment being the way that it is so it's just really fascinating to see how all that works together in the game Absolutely. I love a game that has a dedication to the theme, and obviously we keep coming back to that, and that's really important here. But each card has a quote on it from a non-existent comic book, which is just amazing, because you see all of this thought and backstory that the, the game creators put into the game. And not only that, but if you like podcasts, and you're listening to us, so I suspect you do, <laughs> they have a podcast that dives deep into each character and each concept within the game so you can listen to them talk about legacy for an hour and all of the different things about legacy and and revealing the secrets that are not necessarily in the text of the game and and it's kind of crazy because they refer to issue numbers and then you start to wonder if maybe there's actual comic books out there somewhere but no there's 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 no comic books they have one issue on their website (laughs) but they they talk about it like it's a real comic book series and they've just put so much thought into the backstory of each and every single character their personal lives and why different things happen and and those images are on each of the cards to the point that you could say every single game you play of this is a different issue of the comic yeah and every game tells a new story and that's one of the things that i just really really love about this game and and i know that we both loved storytelling kind of games all three of us like absolutely love storytelling kind of games so yeah and just the sheer attention to detail and like continuity that they have to have not even just to to be able to reference these things but to be able to reference something that doesn't formally exist anywhere outside of i mean i imagine they probably have a storyboard but basically their own heads is just really fantastic and impressive, I think. Yeah, for sure. We talked a lot so far about how each hero really feels unique. They've got unique strengths, they've got unique weaknesses, both in terms of, you know, what their superpowers are and what the actual like visible version of their their powers are, but also in the way that they play the game. So you've got some people that are strikers, they're going to deal lots of single target damage. You've got lots of people who deal you know, AOE damage, they can deal lots of damage to a bunch of minions at a time, but maybe not as much concentrated damage to the boss. You've got support characters who can heal all of these things that you normally end up having in a co-op game, but because of the way that it's formatted in this game in particular, it really feels more successful to me. Because it's not everyone is capable of doing these things and some people just do them better. It's that each hero is custom built to be really good at certain things which just makes it that much more likely that you're going to enjoy and be good at and importantly contribute to the victory for the team like i think the game does a really good job of having a very balanced approach to co-op you don't have a lot of people taking charge and saying okay i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do this you do that someone else will do that and break go you know it's very okay I can do this much damage. Can anybody else like throw me a buff? Can you know? It's it's very yeah. communicative, as opposed to just being okay, done, 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 and go. Yeah, and and that's one of the cool things about it, is, especially since this is a co-op game, is that you start every round being like, okay, 
what do we got to do? Like the villain has sent out, you know, this minion right now, or has this defensive platform that makes him invulnerable. We've got to get rid of it, or we've got to get rid of this this minion, or else he's going to go and like deal us crazy amounts of damage at the end of the round. Or even the environment, like you know, there's an oxygen leak. Our fire-based like, hero can do nothing, and you start with that, and then they talk about like, okay. I've got this in my hand, I've got this in my hand, like, I can do this much damage, I can do this much, like, how can we split this up? It's like, I could do, you know, the five damage, but I would rather do maybe two damage and play this other card, which could give us some other benefit. And so it's it's very much a discussion and just a little bit of that planning of, like, you know, how are we going to actually do this? And other than the decks themselves, there is not really any chance. Like, the, the card says, boom, you do two damage, or boom, you do three, or whatever. So it's not like, you know, if you roll badly, something else is going to happen. There's no dice. There's no nothing like that. And so it just really, really does foster a collaborative spirit in the game where everyone wants to help everyone else, whether or not that's hitting the, the villain in the face as hard as possible or letting someone draw two cards or, you know, checking someone's discard pile for something, letting them shuffle it back or preventing them from shuffling it back, taking some damage reduction, putting it on on a different hero. Each player will always have a role almost every turn. And keeping people involved, like how you're going to get through to like, you know, finally dealing enough damage, punching the villain in the face enough times for them to be defeated. It's really a good feel for a board game, in my opinion. Totally. A lot of those are reasons why I think this is a really good entry-to-play kind of game. If I have someone who doesn't play a lot of games, teaching them this one is simple. I know it really well. I've been playing it a lot over a couple of years. And it was one of the first games that I really got really into and was like we have to have all of the expansions for this game it's my favorite thing ever and i actually brought it to work and taught my coworkers how to play we'd had a couple stressful weeks and i thought you know what we're gonna spend our lunchtime playing a cooperative game well, being collaborative go. being part of a team yeah. um, and it actually worked out really well my coworkers wanted me to give them a shout out and they requested to be referred to as my Gay Druid and Halfling Bard, I think, is what they settled on because they didn't text <laughs> me anything else later. Huh. So we'll see if they listen. Yeah. Um, Sounds like a, a very colorful group. <laughs> yes. We have a small office. I work for a small nonprofit. But yeah, but yeah so it's a, there's a very easy entry to play. Everybody, particularly now with all of the superhero movies, everybody knows some superheroes. Yeah. So I always start teaching the game and say, I don't start with the rules. I start with who's your favorite superhero or what's mm-hmm. your favorite superpower? And yep. we kind of go from there depending on how much of a gamer the person is, honestly. Yep. Yeah, yeah. You know, because there is a, a variety of complexity levels for the characters. Mm-hmm. It has not always worked out for me, but typically works pretty well because then the person has a character that they're invested in, that they're interested in. And I, and you know, this character like so greg said hawkeye and immediately i pulled out parsed because she is a very similar type character she has a bow and arrow and very similar concept and it worked out really well yeah it was awesome she's my favorite character that i've played so far yeah (laughs) so i i really enjoy that about the game and i love to teach this game to other people and uh 
almost every time I've taught this game to someone, they've gone out and bought it immediately thereafter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think that there, there's at least one other thing that uh, I know is very important to you about the game. Uh, yeah, I do really love that there's a lot of strong female characters that are awesome, not just because they're women, but just because they're awesome. And they're very well-rounded, and that, that also falls into the backstory. I've spent a lot of time listening to the letters page, even though I am a little behind. But they're very well-rounded people, and it's not just about appearance which i think is very important i think in general like the characters especially with the the whole backstories are very very fleshed out which is cool yeah well unfortunately no game is perfect hey i didn't have to say it this time yeah (laughs) so i think we talked about greg's first character parse now the no game is perfect my first character I said, you know, Doctor Strange, and and Leslie suggested Nightmist, and she seemed like a really cool character. I mean, the concept of the character to me was fascinating. She was that kind of like sorceress. She was like taking from like beyond. She had to get a little bit hurt in order to do anything and like that kind of stuff. It just sounded like a very very interesting character to play. But when I started to get into the game, and you know, we had uh, Greg's character Parse. She was buffing up all of the other players like you know there was a skyscraper who was going ahead and and knocking out the villain like with, with you know huge punches and like everyone had a role and i was just there pretty much milling my deck so the stories of the characters can be really really cool but there are just certain characters that are much more difficult to play as well as to really fit into a strategy and figure out what strategy works with them. Absolutely. And um, that, you know, again, starting with what's your favorite superhero, favorite superpower, doesn't always work out. Somebody else had suggested Captain America types uh, or Superman. Of course, I picked Legacy, which is a very similar character type. But for that particular individual, the character was a little simple. Not that Legacy is not a great character. I play that character sometimes. But he's very simple. He's not very complex. I think if I had given my friend Absolute Zero, he's got a really cool backstory about why he's always cold. (laughs) And he has to live in this Absolute Zero suit. And he's got these different little modules. And you have to sort of pull the modules out of your deck and when he takes cold damage if you have the right module then it actually heals him and sort of balancing all of those different things I think would have been more interesting to my friend as opposed to I hit the bad guy I heal my friends I hit the bad guy again now I can fly so you know sometimes you you have to find the right character that's going to be interesting for that particular player in some cases yeah my concern with the game actually doesn't relate to the characters as much as it relates to the players. Every game of this that Jacob and I have played has involved four players. We had talked about coming back after we played it for the first time with you and your husband and playing it on our own, and you suggested that if you were going to do it with just two players, play it with two heroes each. Right. And that is because the game just doesn't scale very well. Because of the structure of the the turns, you know, villain takes a turn, each hero gets a turn in sequence, and then its environment, and then back to villain, there's not a lot of 
increasing opportunity that the heroes have to do things for each time that the villain has to do things. So you just end up doing less stuff. You do less damage. You're less able to take care of any environmental effects or any ongoing effects that the villain puts into play. It's just harder with fewer players. Getting down to the point where you mentioned a set of challenges that someone posted online, Mm -hmm. and one of the challenges was defeat a villain with two heroes. Right. Which, for a game that's rated two to five players, does seem like a little bit of a shortcoming. And, you know, they they could have built in some additional boosts that you can get at, at low character counts. Maybe if you're playing with a sufficiently low number, you draw an extra card or you get to activate an extra power. Something like that, I think, could have been done to probably balance the low player experience. But as it stands right now, I think your advice is, is right. If you're going to play with two players, play with two heroes each. And we, we do that all the time. And though the first time we played, we had one hero each and it felt like, how can you even potentially win this game? I, at some point, I would like to go back and try it just as because I've played the game a lot and the challenge. I think I could beat Baron Blade with two characters. Yeah, I yeah, think, totally. I think I could. But it's definitely not great for a two player game, which is why I look forward to anytime I have five people in my house who want to play a game, (laughs) including myself. It does play okay with three, but I think four is probably the sweet spot. Yeah, it certainly seemed that way. Yeah, Uh, we definitely enjoyed it both times with four players. Yeah. So, all that said, positive, negative, like the theme, don't like the character count, stuff like that, how do we rate it? We'll start with Jacob. Well, I'm going to go ahead and say that uh, this is a buy it for me. I think, as Leslie mentioned, this is a great intro game, and one of the co-op games that I think is probably the easiest to get people to start playing and like understand. I mean, you're a superhero team; you're working together. Like that, that just makes sense. The mechanics are pretty pretty good, and especially if you know the game or you you understand it more, I think that this is a great game to bring to table when you have some new players coming by. Uh, Leslie, well, this is one of my favorite games. It was dethroned by another greater than games game not long ago but it was a one of my very favorite games this is very clearly a buy it for me i have every expansion i backed the kickstarter for the conclusion which is coming out sometime this year it's called oblivion Ooh. yeah the kickstarter comes with this really fancy box that allows you to organize all of the expansions that you've accumulated and it has a little drawer for all of the rule books i'm very excited Um, But we first picked up Sentinels when we were in um, Chicago for a wedding. We went to this amazing game store and tried to play it two-player and then played it later that night with two other players. And that was the first time I played Tachyon and I had all these burst cards and I was able to, in one turn, do something crazy like 19 damage. And I was hooked. I was absolutely hooked to the point that um, my now-husband plotted to have a Baron Blade card interrupt our wedding ceremony. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Uh, Yeah, supposedly that card has now been signed by one of the designers, Christopher Bedell, and is sitting at the castle where we got married and where we will eventually get it back from. (laughs) (laughs) So stay tuned. But uh, so this is, I love teaching this game to new players. I love playing this game. And I also would recommend the tablet version tablet version sticks with the theme every time the 
turn changes. It looks like a page is turning in the comic book. Oh, that's clever. And it also um, manages all the little pieces for mm-hmm. you, like remembering who's immune to what kind of damage and all of tracking all of that. So it's very, very useful. So buy it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually going to bring the table down a little bit. It's going to be a play it from me. I really enjoy the game. Don't get me wrong. I'm super glad that you guys have copies. <laughs> but one of the things that I have observed about the game is that if you just have the base game, the heroes are a lot of fun and the villains are good and the environments are good. But this is a game that really shines brightest when you have expansion support, when you have other you know, additional heroes, additional villains, environments that you can add to the box and give yourself some extra versatility and really just cooler heroes. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's great stuff in the base box, but I think a lot of the expansions add some of the best characters. And so rather than investing in every single one of those things, just bring snacks whenever your friend does game night at their place. (laughs) Um, That said, I do really love it. I highly encourage everyone to play it. Maybe you'll disagree with me, but for me personally, this is a play it game. There we go. Before we go on, let's talk about some games that are similar. So first two, I guess, uh, mentions. Thwarted is a game where instead of playing the superheroes, you're playing the (laughs) supervillains. And you are trying to kill the superheroes. So the theme is similar if inverted. And it's still very much a card-based game. And you're villain has certain powers that they work very well with and certain powers that they don't work as well with and like weaknesses strengths things like that it is a lot of fun it's a very quick game but it is competitive so it is different than sentinels of the multiverse in that way either way i think that it's something that if you like the theme especially check out thwarted you kind of can't talk about Sentinels and superhero games without mentioning, of course, uh, Legendary. You similarly play a team of superheroes against villains, unless you have the villains version and you're playing the villains against the heroes. I have those games too because I really like superheroes. <laughs> uh, it's a, just one of my favorite themes, but Legendary is different in the sense that it's uh, a deck builder, so you don't start with a specific deck. You build up a deck as you go, mm-hmm. and you might have cards from Captain America and Spider-Man and Rocket Raccoon in your deck depending on which expansions you're playing with. And now of course it's a deck builder so you can choose to buy from a particular hero. So it's different in that sense but you can focus on one hero. However it's cooperation so you are fighting to beat all of the villains but you do want to kill the most villains or defeat the most villains so that you get the most points yeah so it is still possible to win even though you're technically working together because if the villains overrun the board then everybody loses yeah finally the game that we feel is most similar to sentinels of the multiverse although it is also a deck builder is shadow rift it's a game where you and your teammates are working together to close these shadow rifts the titular rifts that are spawning monsters into your town and you're trying to do it before those monsters overrun your town you have certain loss conditions involving the loss of villagers and bodies piling up so it's obviously a much darker theme but the game feel is very very similar in terms of trying to get out ahead of this situation that's rapidly piling up you know you've got these monsters that are spawning they're putting 
cards in opposition into play every single turn, and you have to try to find the optimal way to deal with that given your strategy. It is a deck builder, but in terms of this sort of race against time, race against resources, I think Shadow Rift and Sentinels in the Multiverse are quite similar, and if you enjoy one, you'll likely enjoy the other. And there you have it. That's our review of Sentinels of the Multiverse.